This month's sponsor is Bobble Stockings. You've probably seen these little stockings everywhere, but you may not know the tradition behind them, which is what has made them so popular. A family tradition, ornament-sized, hand-stitched, needlepoint bobble stocking is meant to contain or hold a clue to each family member's final gift of Christmas. It doesn't have to be the most expensive gift, but it's the most thoughtful. It's the gift that makes the recipient feel warm and fuzzy and like you really thought about them. Bobble stockings are a tradition that grows with your family as Every year, each person's special gift will be different. Bobble stockings are hand-stitched for fair trade in Haiti. Create a meaningful tradition in your home while creating meaningful work in another. You can shop Bobble stockings at bobblestockings.com and our very own shop at shophsdt.com. We enjoyed welcoming Bobble stockings founder Kate Stewart onto episode 76 of HSDT. Be sure to check it out. Hi, everyone. I am Emily Landers, and this is How She Do That, a podcast answering that question each episode. Welcome, everyone. Welcome to today's episode of the podcast. Happy December. I cannot believe that we are in December of 2023. If you are listening the week that this episode drops, we are in the thick of the holiday season. I'm so excited. And of course, I'm so grateful for all of you who have made this year so special and so much fun. I'm really excited about today's conversation with my new friend, MJ Carlson, one of the coolest guests we've likely had on the podcast. She's the founder of Electric Picks, and she gave us a discount code towards the end of the episode you'll hear, but I did want to share it here. It's HSDT20 for 20% off over at Electric Picks. Go ahead and grab a beautiful piece. I am obsessed with mine. You'll hear me talk about it in today's episode, but I wanted to make sure right off the bat that you guys knew that that was available to you because it's a really good discount code. And MJ was very generous in giving us such a special code. Well, as I mentioned, it is December. I cannot believe this. And I am so excited about our sponsor this month and everything that we have coming up in the new year. I get lots of inquiries about guests. I get a lot of guest recommendations and we get a lot of questions in our DMs about what it looks like for the podcast to continue on. What's the admin behind the scenes? Who's helping me? Wait, Emily, you have a full-time job as well. What is going on? Well, all of that can be found over on Patreon, patreon.com slash how'd she do that. And if you sign up today, there's over a hundred additional bonus episodes waiting for you, including vlogs, video blogs, such as our trip to London earlier this year, our trip to the south of France, last year's Thanksgiving, Christmas, there's so much over on Patreon. And most recently, I did a Q&A, get to know your host Q&A, and then there's also a very special episode over on Patreon that is specific to how'd she do that, my story. So if you are interested in any of that content, also, I'd love to add, we also have conversations with our e-commerce lead who helps 
helped us launch shophsdt.com and my business consultant, Adair. So we have recorded conversations with them and we've simply put it up on Patreon so that you guys can hear the actual conversations and the actual brainstorming that goes on and behind the scenes of this podcast, which again, has quickly become my favorite thing. I love HSDT, and I'm so excited about where we're headed. One thing that's really fun is to hear from listeners as to how they find us. Now, Spotify Wrapped is out. I'm sure many of you have already checked out your own details and data. How'd she do that? Had some really fun takeaways from our Spotify Wrapped, one of them being that the majority of our first-time listeners receive a text when they listen to the episode. So you all are amazing to go ahead and send episodes via text to your friends and say, hey, listen, I think this would be helpful to you, or I loved this conversation. And the second way that most of our listeners find episodes is actually through stories on Instagram, when people go ahead and share via Spotify the link to conversations. So we found all of that super encouraging and really exciting. We hope that you'll continue to share these episodes with your friends. Another great way for more listeners to find us is for you to take a moment right now to leave us a five-star review over on iTunes. If you are enjoying the show and have enjoyed our episodes, we appreciate a five-star review with a little comment there. Super helpful for new listeners to find us. Well, guys, that's the update for me. I hope that you enjoy today's conversation with my new friend, MJ Carlson. Today's guest, MJ Carlson, is the CEO of Electric Picks, one of our favorite jewelry brands. MJ's role as CEO is one that combines her lifelong penchant for design and business. She started her career doing PR for Ocean Drive Magazine and shortly after launched an event planning company in Miami. Now, before that, she could be found peddling custom friendship bracelets to her neighborhood while growing up in a small suburb of Chicago. When she wasn't working on new products or at an event for her brand, she's likely enjoying time with her husband and young sons in their home outside of New York City. MJ, welcome to How'd She Do That? Thank you so much for having me, Emily, and thanks so much, everyone, for listening. Oh, I'm so happy that you'd be here. I know we were chatting a little bit before we started recording about your insane products and how good they are. I love them. Thank you. Honestly, quality is so important to us. So really getting that feedback means so much. Oh, well, they are. They're beautiful. And so it's made me even more excited about our conversation today to be able to get to know you a little bit better. And we always love to kick things off. I'm eager for my listeners to get to know you. They already know me. So how about this? Can you tell our listeners a little bit more about your upbringing and then ultimately where you went to school? Of course. I Grew up in the Midwest, so I had a very Midwestern upbringing in the suburbs of Chicago. I actually started selling jewelry at my daycare when I was six years old. (laughs) At first, I was selling it to the other kids in the daycare, but eventually the moms and the teachers there actually started ordering jewelry from me too. And I don't know if you remember, but it was like those friendship bracelets. So I would make patterns and they were woven. And I think I charged between 50 cents uh, and a dollar, depending on how how intricate the pattern you ordered was. But I just always had a very entrepreneurial spirit, even from a young age. I don't think I actually knew what entrepreneurship was back then, but I just loved, um, you know, living by my own rules and trying to make 
money outside of my allowance. I remember just hustling Girl Scout cookies. And one day my neighbor, Jenny, and I found a, like a load of blackberries in a bush near the park by our house. And we carried them all back to my mom's table. We like mashed them up, poured some sugar in and made jam and took this jam in <laughs> jars around to our neighborhood. I think that, like some neighbors took pity on us and bought it, but I was always <laughs> just trying to come up with, with something um, to make my own money. My parents both had very corporate jobs. They both worked for the government. And I just saw the constraints of that corporate nine to five from a really young age. And I always wanted to do something outside of that. Hmm. Well, it's fun right off the bat to hear the excitement around entrepreneurship at such a young age. So what did it look like uh, maybe in high school and then moving into uh, school? What, what was the thought for your career dreams maybe at that stage? Yeah. You know, in high school, I remember just really loving fashion and being creative. Um, you know, high school was, it was tough for me. Um, jewelry was almost a refuge. I remember going to a football game. I was a freshman on a Friday night and a junior girl, she took a, a drink and dumped it over my head and she just, she just bullied me really mm. throughout, um, throughout high school. And after that happened, I never wanted to go back to another football game. And I would stay home on Friday nights and I would make jewelry. And it was this creative refuge for me. And to this day, I actually still find making jewelry so therapeutic. Mm. Um, so I was very happy to leave my, my small town and go to college. I went to Northern Illinois University and I studied business communication. I wish I would have studied fashion. I <laughs> took um, continuing education classes once I moved to New York many years later at FIT. And I would circle every class in the book that I wanted to take <laughs> at fashion school. Um, and business school, you know, I, I, I enjoyed it and I got through it. And I was always a really good student, but it just fashion never seemed accessible in the Midwest. I don't know if it was just me, but nobody I knew was in the fashion industry. My parents weren't, you know, talking about fashion school. It just never came on my plate as an option. It didn't even, like, it just wasn't in my realm back then. So I went to school for business. Um, but I found fashion through internships. I interned um, at three different magazines during school. And I just feel like for anyone um, internships are so valuable. It's that real world experience and also learning to start networking and work with a team. Um, I just think that internships are so incredibly important. We just launched our new internships applications here. And I think we had over 700 intern applications. Oh so um, I know that we're outside of New York. So it's a little bit different. There's a lot of students here, but I just always think, um, you know, advice I give about internships is trying to stand out um, and really finding an internship within that uh, industry that, that you'd want to go into because there's just nothing like real world experience. Somebody actually showed up. Speaking of standing out, we had an intern application <laughs> showed up at our door two weeks ago with her resume printed in electric picks pink 
and said, you know, I love marketing and I just am such a huge fan of your brand. I wanted to show up here in person and give you guys my resume. And she walked out the door and left and our whole team was like, yes, like Um, we have to interview her. So, yes. Well, and I love to, I mean, right off the bat that you would share, well, and uh, gosh, so many things to to touch on, even the element of your experience in high school and being very eager to, to get away. And I'm sure, you know, uh, the, the kindness and the kind person always wins. And of course we're kind of laughing now with all the, the, the success that you have found and and great relationships and, and what have you. But I think it's so amazing that you would be a business comm major. You're looking around. I totally understand the idea and thought, uh, you know, being from the Midwest, I'm originally from Dallas. And it, it's there are elements that you think, okay, fashion at that age and time, you think that's not a real job. But ultimately, you did find that through internships. And you guys have created an amazing internship um, platform, which is so fun to hear about. But but your internships were specifically with those three different magazines. So what did it look like for you post-grad to step into what whatever role, whatever role was there after, after post-grad? What was that first role? My first role post-grad was doing PR with Ocean Drive Magazine in Miami. I thought it was my absolute dream job. I think, you know, Emily, I think there was some show on MTV around about PR right around this time. So it's yes. very like glamorized. And <laughs> I got this job and I was like, wow, I mean, like I've made it already. And it's my <laughs> first job. And I went to the office and the team there was just, they were amazing, but you know, the work every day, I, it felt like a it, nine to five grind. I yeah. would look at my watch throughout the day. I'd be like, oh, how is it only 1 p.m.? I would try to take extra <laughs> long lunch breaks. It just never lit me up. It, hmm. I think like a lot of people in a nine to five, if it's not where your heart is and what you're supposed to be doing, it can just feel like a grind. So hmm. it wasn't what I thought was my dream job, but you know, it parlayed me to where I ended up being now. Well, and it's so interesting because there's a, there's a portion of your story. I'm, I'm connecting the dots. So Midwest, you know, upbringing and what have you, but then to Miami from Northern Illinois, right? So what, was there any hesitation in that move? That's, that's a bit of a leap for some people. Honestly, it was. I've always loved travel. I really love to explore and go to new places. Hmm. I, sporadically decided to study abroad in Dublin, Ireland in college. And that was my real first experience going away from home and just going to a different culture and something that wasn't the Midwest. And I loved it so much. So after graduation, I really wanted to experience something different in life, take myself outside of the box. I was on vacation in Miami for New Year's. Um, and a friend there had a connection at Ocean Drive and they were hiring and he got me the interview. I went into the interview and I was like, yes, I live here. I live in Miami. <laughs> I did not live in Miami. Like everything I owned was in Chicago, but I was like, they're probably not going to want to hire me. If I say I live in Chicago, they might think, well, would she really move here? And I was like, I was committed and I got the job. I left my suitcases in Miami <laughs> at my friend's house I was staying with. And flew back to Chicago and a week later drove everything I owned down to Miami and moved there for the job. 
Oh my gosh. It's it's always so fun to connect the dots of those big life altering <laughs> moments. I mean, that's a big move for, for any recent graduate and to think, okay, this is what I'm going to do. And ultimately you do step into PR and there are elements that you enjoy, but that, that long day of, of the nine to five, which I think so many people can relate to really had you, I'm guessing, thinking of, of, of other opportunities. So how long were you there and, and what did it look like for you to step into the next thing? I wasn't there for very long. I think I did realize very quickly the constraints of that nine to five and that it just wasn't for me. Mm. But while I was there, I started, I went back to making jewelry and I used YouTube as a resource. And I think that no matter what you love to do and what you're looking to do, there's so many great free resources that you can start something Mm. or like dabble in something nowadays. So for me, it was YouTube. And I would just go to Michael's and buy everything I could um, for jewelry. And I started making jewelry. I started wearing it and I would wear it to the events for Ocean Drive. And people would ask me like, hey, where'd you get that? And being able to say, I made it, like this is mine. I was just so proud. Nothing lit me up like that. And I realized, you know, there was an opportunity to potentially pursue this full time. Hmm. Moved to New York City from Miami, and I mean that is that is where the hustle really began. I started taking night classes at FIT again. Like I just think education, free education. FIT was a public school, so there I had already had my degree. Their continuing edu- education program was phenomenal. So I really like took the time to learn about what I wanted to do, and then when I wasn't in class, I would stack the jewelry I was making on both of my arms. It was mostly bracelets back then. (laughs) And make a list of all the really cool boutiques in New York City. And I would go around to them and walk in like I was just shopping. And of course, like the sales reps there, they're great. And they would want to start a conversation. So somebody would say something about all the jewelry I was wearing. And I would be like, (laughs) oh, it's my own line. Like, are you guys buying jewelry? I love your store. (sighs) And that was scary. Like, honestly, it was intimidating. I'm this Midwest girl. These are the coolest fashion boutiques in New York City. Um, But I got into so many good stores that way, which just really taught me the lesson of showing up in person. You know, Hmm. a lot of times we're behind our computers. We're emailing people we'd like to work with or we're trying to call them. But there is absolutely nothing Hmm. like face-to-face time. And for me, I left everything behind. So I could not fail. I was like, I have to make this work. And I was doing that during the week. And then on the weekends, I was selling in Brooklyn at markets. um, And Urban Outfitters actually spotted us at one of the markets I was doing in Brooklyn. Had reached out via email. And then one day I was walking through Union Square in New York City And my phone rings and it was Ryan from Urban Outfitters. And they were like, we've reviewed everything. We would love to place this huge order for Black Friday. (laughs) And Black Friday at that time was maybe six weeks away. I was still hand making all of the jewelry myself then. Um, But it really gave me the confidence that people wanted quality jewelry at this affordable price point. Oh my gosh. I'm thinking about your brand and I'm thinking about Urban Outfitters being one of the first. I'm like, duh, that's a no brainer. Now, okay, tell me this. What year is this? 
This is around 2012. We just had our 12 year anniversary last oh, week. Oh my gosh. Well, congratulations. That, Thank you. That is so wild. And I mean, thinking about you walking into those stores with such confidence, and I love that you would just layer up the bracelets and it's almost like you can't not comment on it if, you, if you're out shopping and, and in fashion. So to think of these early stages, but you just said something that I'm so curious how you overcame this oh. giant obstacle of that order. Did you, what did you do? I mean, surely you, you got other people to assist in making the jewelry or or what was that like? I did not. Oh my gosh. Emily, I made the entire order by myself. Oh my gosh. Can I tell you it was beaded bracelets. I made them all one bead too short. So I had to remake all of them. (laughs) Um, I packed them all. I called my best friend, Chantel, who is now my business partner. Yes. Asked her to come package the orders with me because they had very specific packaging requirements and UPCs. And we packed them up together on my dining room table. UPS picked them up from my apartment. And that was how our first order shipped out. But it was also when I realized I needed production help. And (laughs) I had no clue how you found production companies. I'm sitting there Googling and, you know, it was just difficult. So I started asking the bead suppliers I was using and the chain suppliers at the time. And one of them actually said, oh, we do jewelry production here. So I was just really resourceful using my, my network and just asking people. I did that a lot in the beginning because I really, you know, didn't have, I didn't have a fashion background. I never worked in fashion. So I really would just, if I had a question, I would ask and somebody's brother or somebody's uncle or somebody Mm. would always really um, jump in to help. And I think leveraging, leveraging your own personal network in business is always a good idea. Hmm. Well, it's huge. And yeah, to your point and, and a great reminder to listeners, I mean, this was not your area of expertise. Of course, this is your area of expertise now. And actually, I would argue it was your area of expertise given your history and love for, for jewelry making for, for all this time. But the production side of things is where it really gets crazy. And I'm so impressed that, yeah, you thought, okay, let me go to the bead suppliers. Ultimately, that pans out. So what did it look like for you to continue to grow? Because during this time frame, 2012, you get this big order, you're popping up at markets, you're in boutiques at this point. Is there an e-commerce side to electric picks yet or not yet? There was not an e-commerce side at this point. I mean, I should say there was, it was very small. We were probably 95% wholesale for the first few years of electric picks. That's cool. And maybe 5% e-commerce DTC, which now we are around 85% DTC and 15% wholesale. Our biggest customer now is probably Revolve. But back then in 2012, if you had a website, if you didn't have a significant marketing budget to get you know, newspaper or magazine, right. TV ads, how did you get your customer to electricpicks.com? How did you tell them like, hey, <laughs> over here, we exist? Um, so social media really was the catalyst for change Hmm. with us for that. Um, Once Instagram had a swipe up, once there were ads, it really changed everything because as a small business, we could direct people to our website. We could put a very small marketing budget and um, 
get our name out there to, to thousands of people. So really, social media completely changed everything. And now we are mostly a direct-to-consumer brand. It's so, But it's so fun to hear about the early stages because I think there was a lot of grit and a lot of, I mean, you mentioned, you said, you know, show up in person. There's nothing more valuable than those relationships and showing up in person and starting off in boutiques. I actually love that that is the case. I think a lot of people now, you can start online, you can get the advertising going, but for you to be on the ground, running around, getting this brand up and running, what were some of the the changes in those early years, maybe you know, 2012 on to 2015 or, or what have you, um, that you thought, okay, it looks like we're growing and, and I'm, I'm going to really keep doing this? You know, I think it was a lot of small wins. Initially, it would be, you know, starting to do trade shows and getting into more retailers like Anthropology, Nordstrom. And then as it grew beyond that um, with Instagram, then it started being about the community that we Mm. were building Mm. and the women who were showing up every day to follow along with us. So I think it's changed a little bit from being so much about um, just that sale and the account to really being about building a brand and a community for women. Hmm. And I, I love that you share that because when I think of electric picks and it's so fun for me to think about when I was originally introduced to your brand, I mean, it had to have been years ago and maybe in 2020, um, was likely my first introduction, which of course, when we're talking about 2012 and, and and onward, it's like, oh, I was late to the game. But thinking about the community element of, of what you have created is so cool. How did you grow the um, business side of things, but also recognize the need for the community? Because I don't know that every I was going to say jewelry brand, but really lots of brands with product, they leave the community element out of it. Community has just always been really important to me once we started being a more e-commerce DTC brand. Hmm. It's always been about our relationship and doing the most for our community and our customers. I think that's personal because that's what I love from a brand. I love to, to shop brands that I care about, brands that are giving back brands who I like their team and their founder and their story. So that's what I really wanted to have with our customer and having that connection, like going back to those early days in 2011, when people, I got to wear the jewelry out and people would ask me where it was from. And I got to have that one-on-one moment with somebody and talk about jewelry. That's what lit me up. That's what got me out of the corporate office. So it's always just been my motivation. And now, especially through social media, you can connect daily with your community. There was no way before to be like, hey, do you guys like this shaped heart for a necklace or do you prefer this one? And now we can go on social media as we design and involve our community in what we're designing and they're the end consumer. So it makes so much sense that they should have a say in in what we're doing as well. So I think it really goes back to just that feeling that I got and why I initially started the company. Well, and it's so smart and thinking about, and you guys, will, I'm sure likely many of you already follow MJ and, and the team uh, over there. We'll give you a chance to connect with them. But uh, thinking about the design side of things and your original products, so you had mentioned early, early days, you know, it was very heavily on the bracelet side of things, but you have evolved. What did it look like for you to 
to start to grow? And I mean, at this point, you guys are launching things constantly, but what did it look like for you to build your products and, and what were some of the challenges that maybe you faced it faced in that regard? I think there was a lot of challenges in the beginning. (laughs) Yes. It's just because you have to find the people that can create what you want for your customer. And for us, that was quality and affordability. So it's, again, not something that's heavily advertised. So it's really about building a network. It took years to get our jewelry to the point it is now. And we are constantly improving. We have a very hefty goal to be the best jewelry under under $100. And we're constantly trying to improve our partners to game up on what we're doing for our customers to innovate and give them new things. But at the end of the day, it's always about quality for us. So throughout the years, we've really worked on finding partners and manufacturers and metalsmiths that care about that too, that they don't just care about putting out the most quantity or the quickest product that they want to give us something that we can put out to our community that we can stand behind. I love it. I love it. And I think having seen your pieces, having seen many of them, having worn them, the quality is just that. I mean, it's insane for the price point. Like when you actually hold your products, when you see these beautiful, I love those chunky um, heart earrings and that beautiful new necklace that you guys have out, like the quality is genuinely insane from my personal experience. And so to hear you put that hand in hand, like the quality and the affordability was so key for you. And you have, you've built that, you've built that through your network. Um, but gosh, even as I'm, I'm listening and I'm thinking about you and I'm thinking about the early days, but then what you guys offer now and the scalability that, that you, you led the, the team with and the charge What did it look like for you to start to grow your team? Because so many of these themes, I'm already thinking like, surely MJ wasn't doing this by herself. Wait, what? Hold hold on. When does a team come into play? Because um, it's just so amazing to see what, what it is now. We grew the team very slowly. Hmm. I didn't pay myself for the first two years of electric picks. So I think it was difficult for me to imagine paying other people. I also was wearing so many hats. I was customer care, shipping, finance, sales, marketing. And I'm not sure if other entrepreneurs feel this way, but for me, it was difficult to let go and think that somebody else could do it. Oh, yeah. Um, When I finally did start to let go and we bought in a team, It was really great because I felt we could give so much more to our customer. And when you bring in people who have an expertise on things that you don't have, you can really amplify everything you're doing. Um, So it did take a little longer looking back to grow our team, but we grew thoughtfully and slowly. And I still like feel that we still are. And I just think team is so important. Hmm. Uh, We really value company culture I love Mondays. I love coming into the office and I really want to have a team that feels the same way because if everybody else, you know, comes in on Mondays and they're feeling the way I felt when I was going into Ocean Drive, then it's not going to have that same effect for me where I can come in and Mm. love love Mondays. And I think when you have a great team, that's when you have a great company. 
Hmm. Well, it's so fun to hear even the the early stages of that scalability, because I think a lot of people are going to be able to relate to that, myself included. It's like, okay, at what point do we get assistance with building out sponsorships or this or that? I'm like, well, no one can do it as, as good as I can, which is absolutely insane. <laughs> but it's funny how we all feel that way. Yes, we do. And so I'm interested as you did, you know, decide to to start building a team. Who were some of your first hires or, or, or what did you first take off your plate? So the very first thing was production, but that was outsourced initially. Oh, wow. um, after that, it was operations. I love marketing. That is where I thrive. That like lights me up. Mm-hmm. So for me, doing the operations was really something that I wanted to bring in someone with expertise on who could just take it to the next level. So that was where I started and then bring on like a shipping and fulfillment team, then going into production. Um, so it was really the area that I thought somebody else's expertise would help us and help our, our community the most that I filled first hmm. um, so that I could focus on marketing. And now we have a phenomenal marketing team, um, but it was really trying to focus on the things that I didn't like that were, you know, not on the top of my to-do list first. Absolutely. And operations. And then even thinking about shipping and fulfillment, what are some of the themes that you've seen change in that area? I literally can only imagine what your experience was like with shipping and, and fulfillment. Amazon has really changed the game on what we all feel like shipping and fulfillment should be. They have leveled up. They give you the absolute best experience. So now everyone is compared to that. And we are here for it. We, our shipping team has a goal to ship everything out of house within two days. So it's changed a lot. And I feel like it's great. I feel like when you purchase something online, at least me personally, I get so excited to receive it. So we want to get it to our customers as soon as possible. And Amazon really, really changed everyone's expectations. And we are trying to be the best um, that that we can be for, for shipping and fulfillment. So awesome. It's it's interesting when you mention that, because I think of a few packages that uh, want that were delayed from brands that I love, but it was like, oh, for a trip or what have you. So I love that. Yeah, it's like, okay, we got to be Amazon fast, you guys. <laughs> like, we need, to make, yeah, we need to make sure. On our good. Monday morning meetings, we're like, did we beat Amazon last week? <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Well, and I love too, I mean, thinking about your story and of course, um, gosh, just the growth that you've seen, you kind of walked us through the, the different team members. I know on the personal side of things, you you had some team members come in. Um, obviously, during the, the growth of your business, you got married and, and you've had your, your son and your family. Um, what has that experience been like um, hand in hand? Like, were there any memories of, of different pregnancies that maybe there were themes in the business that were challenging to you or, or just something that comes to mind during that season? You know, becoming a mother, I have three boys under five. I have a five-year-old, a two-year-old and a seven-month-old. Oh my god! And it just made me realize overall that you can't major in minor things when you are balancing being a mom and working. So I really 
focused on what has to get done. Whereas sometimes before, you know, I just had more time and I would work weekends and I would work nights. Now time blocking is my absolute best friend. When I sit down at my desk in the morning, I have my entire day time blocked and it makes me so much more efficient because balancing both, you have to be. Oh, that's amazing. I'm I'm thinking even the that example of time blocking and yeah, oh my, I can't believe that you have three Boys, I I knew for sure there were two, but a seven month old. Yes. Oh my gosh, MJ, what? It's it's so fun. It's so fun to think of of the hand in hand elements, and of course, that's almost a whole other podcast. Just the side of motherhood as you've been growing your business and doing such an incredible job. But I would be curious: Are there any instances, maybe throughout your career, that you'd say failure actually helped shape it? We all need to fail to succeed. I, I've failed at so many things throughout the year, years. You know, when I was going into boutiques, they didn't all say yes. But I remember the ones that did. Um, failing, I, to me, just means you're, you're trying. Mm. I love Sarah Blakely, the founder of Spanx. And I was actually listening to a podcast she was on recently. And she was talking about how when she was younger, her dad made her and her brothers and sisters go around the table each day and say what they failed at. Hmm. which I found so interesting because normally with our children, we're like, where did you succeed today? What was your best moment of the day? But asking kids how they failed just means you're asking them where they, where they took a chance. Um, so initially at Electric Picks, we were both men's and women's jewelry. Mm-hmm. And the women's was always really strong from the beginning. And the purchasing rate was great. And men's was just always kind of kind of lagging behind it. And we would really try and we'd have meetings like, what can we do to get the men's out there more? And we would try to, you know, do more campaigns with men's. And it, at one point we just ended up saying, maybe we should just focus on women's because we're just, doesn't matter what we're doing. We're not seeing the sales in our men's category. And we decided to, um, scrap the men's collection and focus completely on women's. And I actually think the failure of the men's collection was really great for us because mm. it allowed us to focus on one thing and doing that like very well. So interesting. So interesting. And and yeah, now you look at it and you're like, of course, of course, electric picks. I mean, women's jewelry. I think um, recently I was chatting uh, with another podcast guest and we were chatting about just the failure element. But to your point of asking, what did you fail at recently? It makes it almost more normal and not as scary because I think when you hear the word mm-hmm. failure and if someone asks you for an example, you'd be like, oh, like, no, I'm hiding that, you know, but to say, okay, <laughs> exactly. what? And to your point, I mean, you just said it so well, it, it means you're trying, um, which I love. Now on the flip side of that question, what's been a real wow moment for you? Sports Illustrated swimsuit, right? hands down. We did a collaboration with them earlier this year. We ended up having a pair of our earrings on the cover of Sports Illustrated swimsuit this year. And then they invited us to launch weekend, which is normally just the models. And I've seen on Instagram for the past couple of years and just seemed so cool. So to get the go and be there during launch weekend. And we had a actually, we had a launch party with all of the models and the SI team during launch weekend in Fort Lauderdale at the Hard Rock. It was something I will 
absolutely never forget. They're also a small team. It's around eight women and they just treat everyone they work with like family, Mm. which is why I think they're such an iconic brand. So for me to get to partner with them was just one of the coolest things I could have ever, or or almost (laughs) I could have never imagined being able to do. (laughs) I mean, it's it's ju- it's one of the coolest brands you could ever be connected to, and so I'm, I'm honestly not surprised that that they were like Electric Picks is the perfect pick for us. Thank you. No, seriously, like I, I remember actually when that came out, I'm like, okay, that's amazing. Definitely, definitely a wow moment. Well, MJ, this has been so fun just to unpack a little bit more of your story and getting to know you has been a blast, but I always love to kind of preface with guests. This is, this is a little bit of a loaded question, but I'm very interested to hear your thoughts. What would you say is maybe the greatest lesson that you have learned? stick to your core. You know, people really try to do a million things nowadays. Mm. And I remember our accountant, our first big year we had at Electric Pick saying to me, uh, you know, now that you've had success with this, don't try to do something else. Mm. And he meant he, accountants, you know, we see what brands put out on Instagram. We see their websites, we see all the highlights, right? The accountants see the books, they see the back end. And at the end of the day, like in a business, you need a strong back end. So he was saying that just a lot of his brands throughout the years, they would start to become successful. And then they would think, well, now what? You know, they would do jewelry and then they would start doing hats and bags and sweaters. And it would just dilute their core, which was, you know, what they were successful with to start and could end up with like a failure of the brand. So that really resonated with me and is just a lesson that I've learned is to do what you're doing and do it well. And we focus on making, you know, the best quality affordable jewelry. Hmm. And you do it very well. Top of the line Absolutely. Stick to your core. Yeah. There's so many moments. um, Well, not, not always, but in some episodes, I just say, you know what, just pause and rewind. So this is a moment, you guys, listeners, pause and rewind. (laughs) Listen to what MJ just said, because I could unpack it for a very long time. But I do think when people find success, it's tempting to think like you just said, okay, what's next? Instead of digging their heels back in and saying, know, where can we be the best in our field? And I think that you and your team have done such a great job of that because when we think of quality and affordability, we think of electric picks. So I, um, oh my gosh, this has, this has been so much fun. And I mean, getting to know you, getting to know your team, getting to know your products. I know that you guys always have something coming up. So what's next for you? You want to hear, um, (laughs) Fine jewelry. Oh my gosh. We are working on launching a fine jewelry collection. We, again, going back to community, our community for years have been asking for fine jewelry. I think they've grown up with us. So we have been working on launching really high quality, affordable jewelry. Our customer is just like, you know, we trust you uh, so much. And they're now wanting getting to the point in their life where they want to buy fine jewelry as well. So mm. we keep getting requests for fine jewelry and 
we are working on bringing that to life for 2024. How exciting. Well, congratulations. We'll be on the lookout for that launch. And I love what you just said. And I, I really hope that, you know, it can be an encouragement to you. It's rare that um, a guest comes on and they're able to say, you know, our clients have grown up with us. And what a clear, clear example of clients, customers growing up with you, these, you know, high school, college ladies. And now it's like, Hey, MJ, could you help with, you know, an, an engagement ring or a special piece or, or what have you? That's really cool. Very, very cool. And very rare. I really don't know that I've had a brand be able to say our customers have grown up with us in the way that you just so clearly did. Wow. Um, wow. Very cool. Well, MJ, I could continue to talk to you forever, but I know that you um, block time block your day. So I need to keep that in mind. <laughs> Is there anything that we didn't cover that you'd like to? Just to, to touch back, you know, I know we spoke about being bullied in high school hmm. and I just want to reiterate the, the power of community and using, you know, pain for, for purpose. Mm. Something that we did with that was we really leveraged our community to address the issue of bullying. And we wanted to use electric picks as a vehicle for, for purpose. Mm. Um, we've done two collaborations with kind campaign yes. in the past. They are so the cool. biggest anti-bullying nonprofit. They, we gave 100% back of the collaborations two kind campaign. Mm -hmm. um, and we've raised over a hundred thousand dollars at this point. And we've involved over, I think 80 influencers and celebrities mm -hmm. in the campaign as well. I just think the more we speak about bullying, the less acceptable it becomes. And, yeah. you know, we've even experienced bullying nowadays on Instagram and so many mm -hmm. young women experience that, but I've also talked to big influencers who are experiencing bullying daily. So yeah. we really um, want to use electric picks in our community to do things that we can help make the world a better place. And bullying is an issue that's been very personal to me. Hmm. I'm so grateful you would take a moment to reiterate that and share more about what you guys have done and how you've really taken a stand and, and to say, yeah, this is wrong and uh, not on our watch. I'm actually sitting here with a sweatshirt on and a blanket and I got chills as you were speaking. Aww. So thank you. Thank you for adding that and taking the time to do so. And it's just been amazing. I mean, even from those early days in high school and on to college, and then the success that you found with electric picks and really the, the go-getter element to popping into boutiques and, and just continuing to ask questions and meeting people, meeting people along the way that have helped you. And so I'd love to ask you, who do you know that should maybe come on and share their story? Last week at a lunch, I sat next to Elsa Collins. Mm. She is the founder of This Is About Humanity and just has such a beautiful story and is doing absolutely amazing things. I feel as if she would be a wonderful guest. Oh, I think that's an awesome recommendation. You all will have to stay tuned for a potential episode with her. Love it. Very, very happy that I asked. And, and MJ, I know that many listeners likely are already finding you on social. Perhaps they're shopping. I hope so. Where can listeners connect with you? You can connect with us uh, through social on TikTok or Instagram at electric picks. You can shop at electricpicks.com or also revolve and Nordstrom's, but we set up a code 
for your listeners. So HSDT20, and that will get them 20% off at electricpigs.com. Amazing. Thank you so much for doing that. And I'm so happy for you guys to grab a piece from Electric Picks. And MJ, you could not have been more fabulous. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. We will talk to you. Thank you all for listening to today's episode of How'd She Do That? Brought to you by Bobble Stockings. Be sure to check them out. I am Emily Landers. You can follow me on Instagram at Emily Landers and the podcast at How'd She Do That Podcast. And don't forget to shop all of your Christmas and holiday needs at shophsdt.com. Happy shopping, and I will talk to you soon. Bye, guys.